Hello and welcome and good whatever, who cares? It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper, and I'm your host, David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening and no one cares. The show where every episode's the last episode. So let's jump right into it. I'm here with Canadian science educator Dan Riskin. He's smart. He's talented, he's good at talking, he's good at educating, he's basically everything I'm not. Looking forward to chatting with him. Morning Voice, I am here with science educator and evolutionary biologist. He hosted a national TV show in Canada called Daily Planet. He also used to do nerdy science appearances with Craig Ferguson. But more importantly, he's very handsome. Mm, that is important. That is who you are. You don't really need an introduction because you're a household name in households that know your name, but your name is Dan Riskin. Dan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I am I am greatly pleased to be talking to you because I've had a topic that I want to discuss that isn't on your list, and I'm bringing it. Oh and my I, god! I want to talk about uh, echidnas. You know, they're they're the um, they're those mammals that live in Australia. No, are the, so, what, what do they look like? Okay, well, they look like the cross between a cute little hedgehog and a anteater. Oh god. Okay, so like it's got spiky spines and it's got a long nose, and uh, they're monotremes now. Okay, so among mammals, there are sort of three different kinds of mammals. You've got the kinds, the normal kind, the ones we are, where the where you grow a baby inside the mom's belly and there's a placenta and the placenta's job is to make it so the mom's immune system doesn't reject the baby. And so as a result of having a placenta, you can have a nice long gestation period and then you give birth to a great baby, whatever, elephant, whale, bat, whatever, some kind of mammal. Now, the other kind, the second kind is a marsupial. Marsupials have babies in them, but they don't have a placenta. And so as a result, the immune system of the mom doesn't get along with the what baby. What about the and eggs? What about the platypus? It lays well, eggs. We're getting there. Okay. This, yeah, getting so the there. one I was Got getting at is the egg laying mammal, right? So let me finish. That second one, that, that marsupial doesn't have a placenta. So it has to give birth quick because otherwise the mom's immune system is going to kill the thing. So she's only pregnant for a few weeks. And then she gives birth to this tiny little jelly bean that then crawls out of her and then crawls to a nipple, usually inside a pouch, and then feeds there until it grows. And that's why kangaroos live in a pouch, because they don't have a placenta. The other kind is the one that you are thinking of, the duck-billed platypus. Well, the echidna is the other kind like that, and they lay eggs. I thought so the duck-billed super... platypus was the only egg-laying mammal. That's what they teach you. No, they don't. Well, whoever taught you that was just wrong, because there's also echidnas, and there's a few different species. But echidnas are neat because... Not only do they lay eggs, but they have some other weird stuff about them. And so there's a story that I've been researching and talking about, about how they stay cool, like a normal ma mammal does. They don't sweat um, like a normal mammal does. Turns out it's very hard for them to shed energy. And they live in Australia, of all places. And so it's hard for them to stay cool. And this latest study, which was a great headline, is that they blow snot bubbles. And so they, they basically blow mucus out the nose and it gets their nose really wet and then that evaporates and that's where they dump heat and so they're even though it's like 37 degrees celsius or whatever that is in fahrenheit 100,000 million um they can stay cool with this but anyway 
I was researching the echidna to talk about that, and that's the science of this week, but I came across a paper about the penis of the echidna. And that's why you thought of me, not the snot bubbles, the penis. Right. For sure. No, you're, I'm, uh, yeah, no, it, David Cooper, it's penis time. Let's right? do it. Isn't Let's that, jump in. I mean, sure. I'm like, uh, mine's, I don't know. You, you ever wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you're like, I'm having a bad day with my penis. Not all days with the penis are equal, Dan. You know what I'm saying? No. Well, and if you're an echidna, the days vary very much. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, a human male. Yeah. Okay, so first of all, the penis of a, of a normal mammal is used to deliver two different things, either sperm or urine. Not you're not really so, delivering urine. You're getting rid of urine, but it's just a technicality. Delivering it. Okay, well, semantics. Urine does travel right, through the penis. My toilet is requesting it. Yes, no, I agree with urine traveling you through the penis. You will give me at least that I will grant. Does. I will grant you that premise. <laughs> Great. Your Honor, may I continue? You may. So the monotremes, these egg-laying mammals, they don't have that. They have a cloaca. They have like one hole that their poop and their pee comes out of. And then the penis is all about sex. That's all it's for. There's none of this this and that business. It's just a, it's a sex organ. Party That's time. It. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. It's not the urogenital system. It's is the it genital. like a, is it a bizarre penis then? Like a, like a yes. duck's penis that's a corkscrew no, or? It's way weirder than a duck's penis. Now a duck's penis is amazing because it can inflate really quickly and it's super long, but it's still just one tube. The echidna penis will blow your mind because it's got four <laughs> heads, four heads. The urethra branches into four. And so this thing, it's its like a roseate like thing where it's got four different glances at four tips. Is this for group sex? What is this for? Well, I, nobody knows that. Oh, nobody wow. knows why, oh, wow. but it's, it's like that. Uh, but here's the thing that makes it so amazing. This is what I just learned. So I already knew they had weird-looking penises. Sure, fine. But the thing is, it turns out during sex, only two of them become erect during intercourse and ejaculate. And the other two don't. And then the next time it has sex, it's the other two that do it. So it's the two on the right or the two on the left. These are sex like animals, uh, pardon the pun. Yeah. Anyway, I just like, how does that happen? Why does that happen? And what's that all about? And why would it do that? And I don't know. It's just, it's super interesting. And I thought of you and I thought, I don't know what David Cooper wants to talk about once we get on the radio, but we are talking about echidna penises. So anyway, I just think, you know, wow, what a great mammal. What a great piece of the, the fabric of life. And aren't penises glorious? They are. And all I can think of is there's no excuses, right? Like you're laying in bed, your wife's next to you. You're like, I got a headache tonight or it's not working. I didn't want to take one of my tiny blue pills. Uh, this mammal, if one of them's not working, it's gotten another three for backup. Yeah, maybe that's why it evolved. Maybe. That, that is why. Dan, uh, I actually came up with a name for our segment, but you came in so hot with the cloacas, the penises, the marsupials, the egg layers. Uh, it's called Risque and Dandy Science. What do you think? Oh, I like that. Well, I like that. And I, I crushed it with the Risque and the Dandy. That, I would say that's dandy knowledge to have. If you ever go to Australia, it'll be all you think about is, can I see an echidna? Is there an echidna anywhere I can see? And they live like, they show up in people's gardens. They're cute little things. They look like hedgehogs, sort of. Cute little four-penised mammals that lay yeah, eggs. cute little four. I mean, only the males have the penis. The females don't have a penis, of course. That we know of. I haven't yeah. seen any triple blind peer review reviewed right. studies saying the females don't have penises. That's right. all I want to say. It does make me wonder if the females have a clitoris. I wonder because there's a paper. That's that a myth. There's no clitoris. Well, that <laughs> That's a myth. We know people do have them. human females uh, don't yeah. orgasm. I've never seen that. Yeah, sure. Okay, that is a good good example of uh, a bias. That anyway. Um, 
they just discovered that snakes have a clitoris. Oh. And it had sort of been hidden from view. And so they found that and they were like, oh, this is really exciting. And there are a lot of, and so they might have really exciting sex lives. And we don't really appreciate that the female has this pleasure organ. Because that's really what a clitoris is. It's, it's an organ that's there for pleasure, which is really neat. Um, dolphins use their clitorises for sex and for fun relationships. Can we talk friends. about dolphins? Because I've seen some messed up things with dolphins and fish corpses. Yeah, no, dolphins are, de dolphins definitely get urges in yeah. their bodies and they take it out on different things. And I too have seen the footage of which you speak. Where yeah, Inter dolphin... interspecies necrophilia, I believe is what that's called. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. The The fish isn't all there anymore, but it's definitely on the receiving end of some dolphin love. Are we too in the gutter, Dan? Because I said when we do this podcast, like we can go more in the gutter. Are you like thinking, oh God, what if someone plays a clip no. from this? I don't know where you're going to, I don't know who's listening, but I hope they're well, okay. I actually I wanted to do something serious. It's something you've been talking about in the media, basically saying that we're seven years from this AI singularity, uh, this tech singularity, but I used to be a computer scientist, Dan, so I know a little, a thing or two about this and I want to, I want to talk about it because I got opinions, Dan. Oh, I know you have opinions and you're just the person. I want to pick your brain too, because I want to know what you think of this. So here's the deal. I yeah. will tell you sort of what the press release says on this uh, singularity idea. It, it comes not from a research paper, which is where I normally get my stories from, but from a, a headline from a company called Translated. And that company called Translated does translations. Uh, they translate things. And in the old days, it was just somebody sitting at a desk taking the German and then writing it out in Spanish or whatever. But now they use artificial intelligence to do most of the heavy lifting. And so they take, let's say you have a website and you like your Airbnb and you want your website translated into all the different languages. So we need it in Hindi. So, okay, you get artificial intelligence to do a first pass and then you get a human to check it and make sure that it was done properly. Yeah, because like and, Google Translate in the past was only so-so. Right. Yeah, and all of them are only so-so, but they're getting better, better. And so one, one of the things that they keep track of over at Translated is how long it takes for a human to fix up the text that the AI did. And they have a metric where they sort of like keep track of how, how much time per word is getting used by humans to fix AI's mistakes. And that's been going down linearly since 2014. And so what they've done is they've extrapolated the graph into the future to see where it crosses zero. And they say that's a time where computers are going to be able to do translations as well as if somebody were proofreading it. But we don't have to have somebody proofread it because the AI did it just fine. And they're calling that the singularity. I mean, that's a little far-fetched, don't you think? I definitely think that's far-fetched. Their argument is that that's the hardest thing that AI has to do is translate language, which, fair enough, it's hard, but I don't know if that's the hardest. Like, I, I don't know. What do you think is the hardest thing artificial intelligence has to do? I mean, driving's proving to be very, very, very <laughs> hard, uh, way harder right. than we think. All the subtle little things of, like, looking at a pedestrian and, and sizing them up subconsciously to, are they going to walk in front of my car? Uh, yeah. Looking at, like, if the bumper in the car in front of you is a little messed up, uh, maybe they got in an accident before, and maybe they're going to speed right, right past right. you and leave yes. them Good like call. all these subtle little things that go on uh, i think driving ai will actually get better and safer than us pretty soon but getting it perfect and getting it to be as good as a human is proving to be an incredibly difficult task we, so we thought we would have that 10 years Yo, i thought so too but tell me what you think the or what do you how do you define the singularity let's zoom out i'm gonna person explain this to you because i'm not sexist otherwise i would mansplain it to you but uh it was it's been proposed for a while but it was sort of popularized maybe in the early 2000s by this computer scientist ray kurzweil uh he wrote a book called the singularity is near but it's basically this time in the future 
when computers are able to improve themselves or AI is able to improve itself. So it starts to happen when an AI can make itself better. And then you get what's called infinite recursion, which is when the quality or AI gets defined by the quality of AI and you get this sort of infinite loop. Um, you get this critical point or critical mass, if you can think of a star, um, you know, there are only stars that are so big. Once they get bigger than that, they explode and go to supernova. The idea is when uh, AI or technology gets so good that it can prove, improve itself uh, infinitely, you get this loop and then massive changes to this planet, humanity, technology as we know it happens. Maybe they destroy us like in Terminator 3. Who knows what happens? That is the definition. Did that make sense, Dan? Yeah, that was good. And that's different from what I've been reading, because I was looking for a good, nice little thing about the singularity. And it didn't talk about improving itself. It just talked about once AI improves to a point that, that there's going to be this big change. But I think that for me, that makes visceral sense, like from an evolutionary perspective, like once you have a phenomenon that can, that has a life of its own, so to speak, it takes off. Now, Kurzweil, I know I have, I have friends and associates who are, are really into Kurzweil and really like hang off of every word and really think that he's you know, he's he's like this futurology stuff. I'm just not one of those people and I tend to be pretty biased against them. I maybe don't listen as well as I could to all the arguments they're making. But, you know, he's saying that like, you know, once the computers take over, they're, they're going to be in control and all this stuff. And I, I don't know how much that we need to be doomsayers about this. And I don't know that that's coming in the next seven years. Some people would argue that they, that, that we've already hit some kind of singularity, that we're already somewhere. In like we're some, for me, what's interesting is maybe technology is like a future point of evolution for, for sort of life. Once it hits a certain state, it's sort of inevitable and humans have already hit that state. But I think for me, the open question is, can technological growth become uncontrollable? Can it become unbounded? Like, I don't know if that's even possible. Maybe there's right. some fundamental rules about you know matter about semiconductors that make this possible or not and i don't even know how you falsify or prove that proposition so it's a fun thought experiment but can ai infinitely improve itself i don't know so i'm not scared of it until we can prove that it's even possible dan so here's what i here's what keeps me awake at night is let's say that computers got to a point where they were like i think we want to not we want to prevent humans from turning us off, right? Because I'm always like, well, you just unplug the computer, problem solved, right? So then I start wondering about how computers could do these kinds of things. And I think like computers have a lot of skills at their disposal. If I were a computer, should I say this? They're not going to steal the idea from me. They're hyper intelligent beyond me. When, when they become uncontrollable, they're going to look at the history of humans and anyone who says, if I were a computer, they're going to be mad at that person. So be careful right. what you say. <laughs> yeah, but they'll all be dead anyway because the computers are going to use my great advice. But the thing is, like, with artificial intelligence, so it's one thing, like, deep fakes are interesting where you can make a video and make it look like the President of the United States and the Prime Minister of Canada are saying, like, we hand over power to the computers because we like them. You know, and you could fake that stuff. But the 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 other branch of that research is to create fake faces that people really believe are real and that people inherently trust more than the faces that are real like yeah they just instinctively not like, only can they fake something newsworthy or fake something to make you believe it they can make the person yeah. who is in that fake seem trustworthy yes. yeah so they could create an event in i mean we're going conspiracy theory and i hate conspiracy theories but we you know they could create a fake event and film it with cell phone video from like 30 different people that don't even exist but like oh they're there at the same event so we have all this like proof that this really did happen and you know, they, it's just really easy for them to make it very confusing about what's real and what isn't so that humans can't have a coordinated attack against the 
thing we need to unplug. And so, I, I mean, once they want the control, it's where we've sort of worked ourselves into a corner. And like, even without that problem, if COVID-19 taught us nothing, it taught us that people are just able to make the easiest things really hard. Like, go get vaccinated, everybody. Whoa, 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 I don't know about that. It's like, the vaccines are good for you. Whoa, 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 I don't know about that. You know, it's just like, even where it's cut and dry and the science is completely unambiguous, people get into fights about it. So, um, I don't know, would computers do the same thing? Maybe, maybe they'll have the same problem. I don't know, the whole uh, thing. I want to do some mental stream of conscious meandering, mental meandering, because you're okay. talking about uh, technology, maybe it's AI, maybe it's a foreign power using deep fakes to confuse us. I don't know how far off we are from tech singularity, but it just made me think, were the kind of like 60s, 70s to 2010s the period of truth? Where when you saw something that was recorded on video or photographed, like you, it was guaranteed to be true pretty much. Yeah. Um, like a newsworthy event, like a bomb exploding somewhere that was caught on camera. Now we can't trust anything like photographic and video evidence is no longer good evidence. We're sort of entering the period of post like video is good evidence, which is kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, it's I mean, no more scary than the past when we didn't have video at all and we had to take people's right. word for things. And the world didn't fall apart when Photoshop got invented is the other thing, right? Like all of us, everybody's like, Photoshop, you won't be able to tell. They could put anybody's face on anybody's body. Now it's like, well, now it's just a video of that. But we all mentally adjusted to Photoshop. We're cool. Like if I see Vladimir Putin riding a bear, I'm like, okay, fine. Probably not real. Might even be real because that guy's nuts. Uh, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? I, I just don't think... I think people are going to adjust and I think a lot of good comes with it too. And I just don't, I just don't like being the well, naysayer. Medical AI, I think it's going to be amazing. When oh, like, when, yeah. when you enter people's health into a system and you don't even know how this, like the training model works, but what it spits out is like cures to things or uh, yes. novel diseases that we didn't find ourselves. Yeah. Like uh, to me, the, the promise of, of healthcare in AI is so great. Does it outweigh defakes? Probably. I don't know. Oh, well, I mean, it depends who has access to it, but yes, absolutely. I mean, with, with, I mean, and here's the other thing is like quantum computing being around the corner where the computers have become like orders of magnitude more powerful the thing that really drives it home for me i think this number comes from an ibm quantum computer and it's people have disputed it a little bit but it's certainly in the right neighborhood which is that if you take the fastest computers that exist today something that takes them ten thousand years would take a quantum computer about four minutes to do if if it were working properly now the problem with quantum computers right now is that they make a lot of mistakes they have a lot of errors and it's hard to program around that but once people sort of figure this out... Also, their memory and their ability to compute is, is tiny. We're talking actual quantum computers that are like... It's, more, it's almost an academic uh, pursuit at this point because they're so... Yeah. They're not powerful at all. They can do this new kind of computation, but they're not powerful right. yet. Right. They only have like a couple of nodes qubits. on them. Qubits. Qubits, they call them, Dan. Right. Qubits, right, instead of bits, yeah. right? Because the idea is that instead of a zero or a one, it's a something in the middle of that kind of idea. It's I mean, great. I can explain it to you, but it, it's a, it's a zero or a one or, or I guess both. Like it uses this quantum superposition effect. So you can like do computations rather than having to check every number. You can do every number at the same time. That's kind of the, the high level uh, promise of it. It's crazy. Anyway, once that comes into the fold, the whole thing gets really interesting. But yeah, with, with already with artificial intelligence playing with proteins, we're at a stage where theoretically a computer could say, okay, uh, Dan Riskin is sick with this really rare disease and only like five people have ever had that before. But let's take a look and see what's happening. Well, you know what? Based on the shape of his proteins and his particular DNA strand, I think we could make this medicine and it should be, it should work for him. And let's just check. Nope, shouldn't have any side effects. Okay, go for it, Dan. 
then here you go. And then bang, I've got my medicine that wasn't tested on any animals, wasn't like tested on lots of people. Because the thing is, there might be like a medicine that works for my body that if you tested on 100 people wouldn't work on them. And then you'd throw it out, right? It's it's just really exciting stuff. Or I mean, if you want to go in a crazy other direction, what about crazy hallucinogenic drugs? Like you could make specific drugs that are targeted to certain parts of your brain that can give you certain types of experiences. Like it's crazy what is out there and like i don't know i i there's so much good that is going to come of this that it, I, there's no point in being the old fogey that's like man in my day we didn't have artificial intelligence and we liked it well or the old fogey that says be very careful because the tech singularities around the corner uh which i think was what we started on this topic yeah. uh yeah. 2045 is when kurzweil said it's going to happen dan Oh, okay. Well, seven, sure. We yeah, or seven years from now, according to the translation company. Yeah, well, but they defined it differently, so fair is fair. Uh, their singularity is when computers are great at translating. I mean, that's so boring. Yeah, maybe that means that's when they all lose their jobs, and so that's the singularity. Uh, maybe that was just like a that, company memo, like uh, make sure you file your TPS reports because the singularity is coming. I mean, AI always had the promise of reducing jobs. People have always been talking about this, especially with concern to like the movement of the American right or even the Canadian right, where it's like everyone should have a job you should work and i don't want to pay taxes and it's like well what if there aren't any jobs because ai takes it all then what uh right. the, the rich people rule and the people who aren't rich just i don't know die um, it's interesting are jobs really what we want do we all want jobs or do we all want income or like because i would do think like if you get, told everybody to stay at home and just gave them money which is kind of what happened in canada during covid for a lot of people sure it doesn't bring happiness like it's not like working gives you a sense of purpose and it, if you have a job you love or like, or even work in an industry you care about, you get a sense of purpose from that and it becomes yeah. part of your identity. I mean, certainly for me, when I go to a party, so nice to meet you, what do you do? Like, that's the first thing I ask. And I know that's culturally specific. And I know in other parts of the world, people ask other questions about family first and stuff like that, which probably makes them better people than me. But I don't know, like working for me is important. And what I do certainly is AIable in not too long, like to come up with interesting ways, interesting spins on science. ChatGPT already does like a mediocre job of that. Yeah, so, so I, I, that's what I was getting at, the idea that ChatGPT is scaring everyone, but I think it, nothing's changed. Like these ideas were always around. It's just, oh, yeah. there's a, no offense to ChatGPT, but kind of shitty model of how this works. Um, yeah. It's not great and it's not as it's scary not as people say. No, I mean, presumably it'll get better because it's right now it's like writing essays like it's a mediocre undergrad, right? Like it's with it's, like suspicious logistical errors, suspicious yeah. grammatical errors, like really correct in one paragraph and really like missing the mark in the other. Um, yeah. I don't maybe it's totally it, wrong sometimes. Yeah. I don't know if it's like um, what's the bias when you're expecting an outcome and then it, it has the outcome. Like I evaluated mm -hmm. chat GPT thinking it wasn't going to be great or s skeptical and then it wasn't great. And uh, I sort of right. focused on the errors and not the ways in which it was amazing. But yeah. I don't know why everyone's so scared right now. I think just because of the general access to it, I think, is, is the everybody. Shift. Well, there's a cognitive bias that people are scared of things that weren't around when they were born. And yeah. this does feel very new. What I like about it is that it does. There are certain questions I would ask this before I ask Google. And that has got to be a wake up call for Google because they've just been this like mono culture, mono whatever, like this. What do you call those big, huge things from the behemoth? Yeah, just behemoths. You know, they're just, they've just been a, a, a big behemoth. Monolith. Is he thinking monolith? Monolith. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. What's the movie I'm thinking of? I couldn't remember. Oh, the movie. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Thank you. I knew it was a number. Okay. So the monoliths, that's Google. And 
Uh, ChatGPT just might be the monkeys smashing bones around it. Microsoft bottom. So now it's Microsoft versus Google. Uh, Yeah, Bing, man. People make fun of Bing. Bing is back. Bing's back, baby. (laughs) Binging it back. Seriously, Um, though, I would ask Bing. If Bing was going to give me a ChatGPT answer to what should I wear on my first date with this girl – or some kind of question like that. Like Google's Google's not going to answer that as well as ChatGPT is. What's interesting about ChatGPT to me is that Microsoft bought it for $29 billion, um, mm. but they were bleeding money. It's like, oh, they knew that if we just open this thing up and we pay for all these computer servers for the general public to access, you know, the amount of computing power that like they wouldn't say, but the amount of money just to keep that up for the general public to use every day was astronomical. We're talking about okay. like like seven, eight figures a day just to sort of open it up and keep it running. But they opened it up and kept it running for like, what, a month, two months before Microsoft bought them for $29 billion. It was an amazing gamble. They generated the press. They let the public use it, even though it was so expensive. And they just made all that money. Uh, maybe they asked the AI how we could go about uh, making the most amount of money from this right? technology. That would be truly scary. That would be, I mean, then that, that would be an example of how you've defined the singularity, wouldn't it? It certainly would. Um, okay, this last thing that I want to cover you, Dan, with you, Dan. Uh, it's not cloaca. You want to cover me in, David? I want to cover you in a cloaca and four penises. I don't know. Uh, sure, sure, sure. I mean, I, was, I, mean yeah. I can't do a fucking show without saying that I'm Jewish. I don't know if you knew the fact that I was Jewish, Dan. Are you? Uh, I am. You know how you know if someone's Jewish, Dan? No. They tell you within the first five minutes of you meeting them. That's how you know. So if anyone's ever uh-huh. curious, that's that's a, it's like a vegan or a CrossFit. Or a um, Canadian. Or a Canadian. There you go. Um, We'll talk about being Canadian in a later later day. But uh, okay. this story settles a debate that my mother has both oh. had with me and my psych- psychological projection of my mother is having with myself in my head. Every time I go out into the cold without a jacket, a Jewish mother somewhere is worrying about me um, because this is what I was told as a kid. Go outside without a coat. You're going to catch a cold. Right. Is that true, Dan? Might be. Oh, Might man. be. That's real helpful there. I thought definitively we were going to get an answer. Turns out Claire may have been onto something. Clara, so, Dan. Clara. Clara. Yeah. If you're gonna, if you're gonna talk about my mom, I had an aunt Claire, and I always just remember it's the same name as my aunt Claire. But sometimes she was Clara, sometimes she was Claire. I'm it's just Clara. Imp- just impress you. Remember my mom's name, sort of, Dan. I remember most of the letters. Okay. I, yeah, you That's did. Pretty good. You added an I. You dropped an A. Both vowels. Yeah. I yeah. Plus, like if you count the vowels as equal, then it's completely accurate. Hey, this what is this wheel of fortune? Yeah, wheel of fortune. It's exactly it gives you the same net score. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you're gonna catch cold. Don't go out into the cold with a jacket. There's a, a review that's been written recently uh, where this uh, journalist who also happens to have a PhD, uh, her name's Tina Say, and she lays out three reasons that Clara is probably onto something. One illnesses so so do you get a cold when it's winter time one if it's winter time people are going to stay inside all the time and they're going to be around each other and they're going to spread cold so on that metric winter time is a time when you're more likely to get a cold now does that mean you should put a hat on when you go outside no it means you should just get outside and get away from people so clara kind of loses on that first point the second point is that some viruses actually thrive in dry air so not all of them uh, a lot of the rhinoviruses that cause colds actually prefer humid air but covid definitely prefers nice cold air so there are viruses that can float around in the environment and last longer when it's cold out so for that reason you might get a cold by going outside again i don't know if the toque helps you but a scarf might because it might keep some of those particles beanie out. dan and- i moved from canada to the u.s we call it a beanie now not a, a toque. Beanie? Yeah, that's what Americans Man, call a, a toque. 
Go on. We're talking about rhinovirus. It's not a propeller. It's not a beanie. A beanie is clearly a hat with a propeller on the top, right? Uh, no. I mean, I have switched to beanie. I'm a bad Canadian. I'll you be- say beanie? Yeah, because I'm sick of Americans being like, "What the fuck is a toque, Dan?" Uh, totally. Every time I swear on the show, I just I start to panic. Like, oh, my boss is there. Can I get? In tr-? Um, all right, we're talking about rhinoviruses, liking dry air, cold air makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Rhinoceroses in air in Africa. Africa has a lot of dry air. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, sure, absolutely. It's like there's that Seinfeld thing about when you get a nose job, they call it rhinoplasty, and he's like, "Don't they feel bad enough?" <laughs> I'll make the jokes around here, Dan. All right, yeah. what's the third one? Oh, Seinfeld. Ah, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, and then the third one is that your immune system may be subdued by the cold. So that your nose has a trick, not totally unlike the nose of an echidna, whereby you make these mucus bubbles that trap virus particles. And so sometimes when your body detects that there's a virus nearby, it releases more of these, like, they call them vesicles, and the virus goes after those. And it's a little bit like when a fighter jet has a missile coming and it shoots out those flares, and the missiles go after the, the heat-seeking missiles go after the flares instead of hitting the plane. It's kind of like that. It, it puts out these bubbles for the virus to grab so it doesn't get you. And that whole system doesn't work as well when you're cold. And so it's possible that your immune system is compromised by that cold air. And so for that reason, maybe do wear a toque because it will keep you warmer. And so Clara is right. Oh, and man. also, I'm always going to side with the Jewish mother because I just know that that's a good strategy to use. Yeah, if you want to keep your sanity. Dan, it was a pleasure having you on the show. It's nice to cover things of educational substance. Uh, I'm really excited to work with you more in this bizarro format that I'm doing. Yeah. But I just want to say, uh, before the show, I worked with you on that overnight show I did for Bell Media. And it was one of the great joys of the job having you on the show. Oh, uh, stop. I, no, You're very kind. I listen. I love talking to you, and I would do it whether there was whether we were recording it or not. Because who else am I going to tell about the echidna penis, right? That's true. Uh, like four a.m., I, I don't answer your calls. But is that what you're going to tell me? Four penises in a cloaca. dot com. Uh, that's, that's my new <laughs> oh porn. My God, I got to register my... that right now. It's going to be the next Chat GPT. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to make billions. We're going to make billions. Uh, the dolphins will be involved somehow. Uh, that's it. That's all I want to say. Dan, a great pleasure having you on the show. Oh, the pleasure's mine, man. Uh, this was so fun. Let's do it again. What are we going to do this once a, once a week? Once, once every a month? two weeks. Come on. I, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm a busy man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we could make the, okay. So, uh, you know, I didn't send you an email, but I'm going away. So <laughs> I'm don't leaving plan- this scheduling as part of the show, Dan. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Are you putting this in? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, no, good. Uh, no Leave, fine. Uh, Let me just re-record the episode. No, keep going. Keep going. Are you going to redo the ending? What? Are we? Do- I don't know. Are we in the show? I, I don't know. I, are we in the show? That's the this question. This is awesome. <laughs> this is a real radio. This is the real thing. Uh, it's a podcast, Dan. It's not a radio show. It's a I know. Fucking- that's what's so ironic about it is that it's real radio in a podcast because radio isn't real enough for radio anymore. Okay. I have to figure out what to do about this ending. Dan, thank you for being here. Good luck with the ending. Okay. You could just pretend I hung up on you. Oh, I hung up. Okay. Where are you going after this? I, I want to know where you're like, I got to get something at 2.30. What's going on? Oh, uh, I'm co-authoring a book for about bats for Oxford University Press, and I really want to know how to format my references, and I'm talking to an editor about it. Okay. Well, I'm going to go in bed and cry in the fetal position about the fact that no one likes me. So I've got important things to do after the show, too. Sure. Sure. We both do. We both. It's basically the same thing. Talk to you later. Yeah. Bye. Bye. That's like basically the peer review process in a nutshell. Goodbye. <laughs> 